Welcome to the Assistant to the Regional Podcast. Each week, your hosts, Chris and James, will discuss everyone's favorite TV show, The Office, from the point of view of a salesperson. Join them as they break down each episode, highlighting the laughs, lessons, and sharing sales stories along the way. This is Assistant to the Regional Podcast. Here are your hosts, Chris and James. Welcome to episode one of Assistant to the Regional Podcast. My name's James. And I'm Chris. And this is the podcast you've been waiting for. This is a podcast about the most watched, the most popular television show that's about our jobs as salespeople that we never talk about. And Chris and I are here to do just that. We're going to go episode by episode, season by season, and talk about all of the intertwinings and connections with this profession of sales and this fantastic show that we all love so much, The Office. Chris, happy to be with you doing this thing, man. Yeah, I can't wait to dive in. This was an idea that you hit me up with. You're going to take us through episode one, season one of The Office. We're going to break down some of these different elements of, of The Office as it relates to sales. So the first scene we see, Michael and Jim are in Michael's office. Really a great way to start this podcast. It's a QBR. And I actually had a QBR this week. So it really resonated with me. What I thought was good might also be fun to talk about is it was a one-on-one QBR, which I've never been a part of in over 10 years, never been a part of a QBR where it's just a one-on-one. Every single QBR I've ever been a part of has been a collective multi-person event that everybody dreaded. So maybe we chalk this up to Michael Scott. First time we see him already uh, a winner in the managerial column. Already innovating. I think interesting to know if that could be adapted in terms of how are QBRs perceived by sales reps, by managers. I'm not saying there's not learning experiences that your peers could share, but I feel like the framework of QBRs don't lend themselves to where you could learn from me. They usually lead themselves to like, here's what I did last quarter. Here's what I'm going to do this quarter. And then three months, we're going to do it all again, but you're never going to ask me about this deck ever again. And that's such a reality. It's one of those institutional things in sales that I think is done because it's always been done. We know that Michael right off the bat is he's showing us he's an innovative manager. He's doing stuff differently. He wants Jim to learn from him. And that that's an interesting part of their conversation there. So right after that, you know, Jim explains the worst part about any QBR is explaining that you didn't do a good job in the previous quarter. A reality Um, for so many salespeople. Well, there's nothing more humiliating than added humiliation. It's like, I already lost the sale. You already know I lost the sale. And now you want me to stand up in front of my peers to tell them I lost the sale. And have seen it on the CRM. Jim expresses, yeah, the library deal didn't come through. And and Michael said, so you've come to the master to see how it's done. (laughs) And that's where every salesperson that's watching this goes, oh, I've had a sales manager like that. Every VP of sales, every sales manager's always swooped into the sales floor and closed something that just seemed impossible and done things that just, yeah, Superman, Superwoman coming through and uh, five points from Gryffindor for Michael there because there's that ego. It's not that he was eager to help. It's that he kicked Jim when he was down. Like Jim's like, oh, I didn't do it. And he's like, I'll show you the way. Where are the coaches? Jim will never learn how to improve his game if you do it for him. Yeah. Michael seems to be in this moment much more interested with 
doing it for his own self-serving purposes rather than picking Jim up, showing him the way he'd rather do it and show off. This goes towards, as we get to know these characters here, like Michael, you find out been with Dunder Mifflin for what, 12 years. He's only been a manager for four years. So that means he was a sales rep for eight, one of those top sales rep, zero training, zero coaching, and it's kind of showing itself right here. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like that Dunder Mifflin has a great system built in for promotions. It seems kind of like next man up, good luck, and um, don't let us down. So <laughs> I think that's where you definitely see that. I think it shows he goes back immediately, puts his sales rep hat on, takes off his manager hat. And the first thing he does is try to assert dominance with the library, with his title. Yeah, right? so he, he picks up the phone in front of Jim in their QBR and he says, I'm going to show you how to do it. And he calls the library the deal that Jim couldn't close. And now he's going to do it for him. And he immediately starts to assert his title. I would love for this to happen because no one's picking up. I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> you're not going to show me. You can close the deal for me. Fine. I will give you that. But with the call to connect rates. One call close. No one's picking up the phone today and being like, oh, yes, I am your, I am your champion. Yeah, you know, go like, right ahead. <laughs> he's going to have to like call him, leave him a voicemail, send him an email, connect with him on LinkedIn, mm. send him a gift basket and be like, I'm taking the account over. I'm your new account manager from Dunder Mifflin. Let's talk. Like, you know, there's got to be, there, there's definitely not going to be like, I'm going to fix this. The manager to manager line, it, it goes back to what you see a lot on online, which is don't be afraid of cold calling because they're C-suite just like us, right? Yeah. It's not meant as a disrespect. Michael in that moment was like manager to manager, which we are elite. We are Yeah, somehow you. they're different than, you know, you talked to Jim, the lowly sales rep last time. You're talking to his manager. We're on the right. same level. You know what that made me think of? Grant Cardone, classic for this kind of stuff. Uncle but you know, GC, man. Uncle GC, right? He has a famous video that I used to watch all the time where he, and it was totally staged and it was totally fantastic where he, co he comes in and he's like, walks into the sales floor and he's like, got the camera and it's all guerrilla style. And he's like, sometimes you just got to have the executive drop in, right? And just drop in the height. When you drop in the executive and get executive, and it's like the exact same thing yeah. that Michael's doing. So I think that's so great. Again, all ego driven with Michael all, right all now. All ego all the time. Yeah. So obviously it doesn't work. Also, I thought his cold calling skills were, were pretty bad. He went in really confident, which is what he needed to do when you're making that call, when you're picking up the phone, when you're making dials, you got to have the confidence. But he immediately like lost all confidence after his opening line. And I think that's that showed the rustiness where it was like, I got my connect, but I didn't do anything with it. I forgot that I don't really do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. and I think who knows, and we'll unpack these things as we go on throughout the episodes here, but Michael, you got to start thinking about, okay, so Michael's the type of manager that is innovative enough to maybe have a one-on-one -on -one QBR, so points for that. But then he's taking a few steps back with taking over and doing instead of coaching. You got to think about, okay, so he's with Dunder Mifflin 12 years. He was a sales rep for eight years. What's the motivation for somebody that's a successful sales rep to get into management because it's not the money. He wants to be liked. Mm. And he thinks that managers are liked. I think they do go through that thought process as you get through the series. Right, you're he, starting to see the very beginning signs of this burning desire to be liked. I want to be liked. World's best boss, he buys the mug himself because he, he perceives that he is the best boss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What we're going to kind of go through here as you see next in the episode is, is the crux of today's conversation. I think it, it's going to ring true for a lot of people listening, which is Jim hates his job. Straight up. 
He's been there for seven years. He's not passionate about his job. Now, what stood out for me was he didn't say he hated sales. He said he, he wasn't passionate about paper. So this lends itself to the conversation of selling the right thing. Mm-hmm. How important that is to believing in what you sell, believing in the product you sell. Will that make you better? Or is it more important to just be proficient at the product you sell? And he kind of dictated that, right? He's not happy, but he knew all about certain weights of paper. And like, we all have our price sheet memorized because it's like, we get the happy years. You're like, oh, how much would this cost? And you're like, I'm going to tell you right now, how much do you want? There's volume (laughs) discounts, there's multi-year discounts, this lever. Like we all are memorized on the product and the price, but how many of us are passionate about the cause? One thing we're going to do here on this podcast is keep it real about how we see it and how it relates to sales. And I personally think that you do not have to have this overflowing passion for the product or service that you sell. I've never in my 12 year sales career been passionate about cell phones. I sold paper for a while. Then I sold data analytics consulting services and I'm not passionate about any of it. And to your point, there is a delineation where you can, you, I'm passionate about sales. I love sales. The, the art and the strategy and the Yeah. Game. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I'm selling, right? I think that statement is where people get, <gasps> because yeah. then they think, okay, well then you're going to be a smarmy salesperson who could sell anything and you don't care about, but it's interesting because Jim isn't that person. He's just like the completely checked out, like I'm going to fall asleep by the time I get done telling you. He's not slimy. You know what? It's a paycheck, which I think a lot of salespeople, yeah. you know, in this hustle world, in this grind world, yeah, I'm good to go. I want the next level. Well, Jim, hmm, he doesn't really seem like he's a hustler, right? Very complacent. I think we've all been there where we're just like, absolutely going through the motion. To your point, being good at sales, you, you know, and being able to sell multiple things, that's sales, right? Like, it's the game. Being a one trick pony. Obviously, like loyalty died with the pension, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. And like we hear it a lot as millennials where it's like job hopping is bad. But like I've looked at some of my peers' resumes and I've done the math over their, you know, 20, 30 year careers. It's still four or five years per job. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not like putting them down, but I'm just saying like you've got to be able to pivot, right? A good salesperson, it should be interchangeable. Like think about your best salesperson or the best salesperson you've ever met in your life. Would they really be that good if? you dropped them into a different organization and they couldn't be the best person there as well. Yeah. It's a fantastic point. Like you think about people, salespeople love to compare themselves to athletes, right? right? So are you telling me that if Michael Jordan couldn't go play, you know, he was only good on the NBA court with his teammates, right? He couldn't go to a park and play a game of pickup and absolutely dominate. Those two he, things aren't interchangeable. Yeah. Mm, you're not the best player, right? You're not a good player. So I'm, I'm with you on that side of it. Be good at the process. Yeah. Master the process. You know, and I think Jim is good at his job. I think he just doesn't care about paper. Yeah. And he's not necessarily surrounded by or working for a company that has a culture that's figured out a way to motivate him. So Jim hates his job. And the way that Jim finds joy in his job is by messing with Dwight, who we meet shortly after that. When we first meet Dwight, Michael is interrupting the sales floor. That is the problem with open offices. <laughs> yeah. We work and it's just a complete disaster. And yet we still went forward with all of these open offices. 
you know, at the end of the day, like that's how we meet Dwight. Dwight is upset because Jim played a prank. That's part of the camaraderie of the office. Without that human interaction, like we are going to go a little crazy. We're going to lose some social skills. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to be a little more direct. Right. And it's going to come off the wrong way. It's like when we first started learning how to text our parents. Like Etiquette was way off. Fascinating to me because this is never going to happen. Death to the open office. To meet Dwight and to meet him in a way that one of goofing off and two, because Michael is bored as a manager. <laughs> from, and control his ego long enough to stay out of the spotlight, really. But that's the sales guy in him. Is that's he wants, the sales guy. He wants that's the extrovert. The, yeah, he's an, exactly. It's, he's the extrovert. Jim's introverted. Michael's yep. extroverted. Maybe I would argue that Jim probably falls into the category of the ambivert. He's cool with like a night at the house watching a baseball game by himself and he's fine. But if he needs to turn it on and it's something that he's interested in, no. this actually gets, you know, mentioned later on in the series. Like when Jim is actually interested in something and passionate about something, he can really like get going and get motivated about it. Good call out. Extrovert meets introvert, maybe ambivert type personality right busted onto the sales floor crazy right because like the thing is what you know 66 percent of our time is not spent selling because management wants to talk to us Mm -hmm. about selling toot their own horn right make themselves feel like they've added value and dropped in my first boss years and years ago he would walk the floor (laughs) and we it wasn't an open floor we had cubes and offices the good reps earned doors basically wow you earned a door and he would door he'd walk around like every afternoon at like two right as like the lunch nap time would Uh. be really setting in and he'd walk around and he would just tap on everyone's door you sell you sell anything today (laughs) (laughs) at the time i didn't really get the humor because Uh. i was like a data intern (laughs) <laughs> but once I became like a, a junior seller yeah, and then moved into like a seller, the hilarious part of him do- doing that is he had to sign all the POs by hand. So he knew. So he knew, but he was just like, I got to get up. I got to stretch my legs. Yeah. I got to remind them what they're here for. And that I know, you know, that I'm a, re- yeah, that's totally a Michael. You're the first person to find out. Anyway, as we progress through the office, Jan comes in. So Jan is Michael's boss. He doesn't hate her, but he has this perception that she works for the bad guys. He doesn't respect her at all. No. I think this is interesting right out of the gate because she's the first woman that we meet. The first woman you meet and get introduced to is Pam. That's right. And Michael completely disrespects her. It's completely another, hey, look at me. I'm the boss. I can say whatever I want, that kind of thing. What irks him, and we'll obviously talk about this in later episodes, but what irks him about Jan is that she is his boss. You know, I don't, and I don't think it's a woman. No, it's, it's just the idea of, of it. He wants to be her. I should be in your position. Yeah. In the meeting with Jan, we get a phone call from Todd Packer. It's brief, but I think Todd is immensely important. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> Todd's job, he's a field rep. So field sales rep. For those of you who don't know, if your org doesn't call them field reps, you're the traveling sales rep, right? You yeah, are the, the outside sales. And Todd immediately gives us the stereotype that road warriors are rude and crude and have a bad attitude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's brazen. He's saying all the wrong things on the answering machine, right? When he, he doesn't care because he's not in the office. 
There's no consequences. There's He's the, the con- wild man on the road. It's the perception of as long as you're good at your job, you can get away with anything. Yes. He is absolutely that That's toxic him. sales guy who makes everybody uncomfortable. He- Like everybody's a little bit uncomfortable when he comes around. If you're a guy, you don't know if he's going to rib you, call you a a weenie or make you look stupid. Or if you're a woman, if he's going to, you know, make you uncomfortable. Right. And I do think there are elements of this show that we all love, The Office, that haven't aged well. This isn't the podcast where we're going to talk about all of those things. But it's obviously an element of the way, you know, they conduct themselves in their sales world. And just how salespeople are perceived to buyers. Yes. Our ideal customers, they talk about us. The field sales reps like Todd. If you're not, if you're not good at your job, they talk about you. Yeah. If you're unprofessional, they talk about you. But Todd doesn't care because he's completely numb because he's been on the road for too long. Well, he's and it's obviously, yeah, perception. he's probably already crossed the line and found out that like, hey, as long as I close these deals while I'm out on the road. But there's one rule in sales, which is don't be an asshole. Yep. Because eventually, you know, your ability to provide will catch up to your attitude. Yeah. <laughs> I think the acronym- D-B-A-A. Yeah. D-B-A-A is the acronym. <laughs> yes. So Jan's delivering some bad news yeah. about what's going on, which is the actual plot of the episodes, I think may end up sometimes being secondary to what we actually talk about as we dissect the episodes. It is an interesting thing, especially right now. Jan communicates to Michael a sensitive piece of information. There's a possible downsizing happening. And Michael's reaction is, of course, I'm going to handle this like a professional. Why would you expect anything else other than the utmost business professionalism? And then the next scene is everybody knows about it. There are no secrets on the sales floor. Zero. If you ever think there are, you're lying to yourself, sales leaders. There's little birds everywhere. And everybody Um, knows what everybody's making, by the way. Even if you told everybody (laughs) not to tell everybody else what you're making, I'm just letting you know that too. When we focus on Jan, her news is of the downsizing. When we think about that in today's terms, as far as we know, it's not an economic reason, globally economic. The way people react is actually really interesting, right? Michael, he gets a little crazy. Dwight has so much confidence that he's like, good luck downsizing me. I'm the most important person you have. He's highlighting in his crazy way, the insulation that you can have if you're a talented salesperson. And in real life, he very well may be one of the last people that they would fire and continue to bring in the revenue. Again, some of that same vibe of we'll put up with some of his crazy stuff because he's killing it every month. And I love that. He knows that value that he has. It's that he has the drive. I'm the best. Good luck getting rid of me. And then he even has suggestions, right? Like he, he already thinks that the, there's too many people. Most salespeople think their sales team is too big. Yep. So Dwight wants a smaller sales force. He also has this desire to have authority. Mm-hmm. He's the top rep. He thinks he's indestructible to downsizing. But when Michael comes over, to introduce Ryan. Dwight always says assistant regional manager. When, when Michael brings the Ryan over, you know, Dwight's like, I'm assistant regional manager. <laughs> Michael corrects him as assistant to the regional manager. Mm-hmm. And you can see the crack in the armor where Dwight, who was once indestructible to downsizing, he is human and his feelings are driven based on his title. This is the name of the podcast. That title is so central to who he thinks he is there the entire time that he's there. And I know as a salesperson that I've been very attached to titles in my career. Chief sales coach. What? 
that doesn't even mean anything, but I loved having a business card that said that. I was a manager of three people. So Dwight is a type A salesperson. He's motivated. He'll go to work. He'll work hard, but he also is obviously coin operated. He wants that recognition. He wants that title. Michael and Dwight have a lot of the similar core desires, right? And I think that's why they bump heads a lot and why Michael is so wary of letting Dwight say that he's assistant regional manager. He's always got to put him in his place. So one thing to touch on when we think about downsizing is Jim says he thinks his sales acumen is is useless. Yeah, maybe. One of the reasons why the office doesn't always get brought up in great sales shows or media about sales is because like he's not really into it. He hasn't yet identified that this is going to be a way that he can provide for his family, get to that next level in life. He's very complacent. I think that comes from the reality that when you get into sales, like it's not always going to be selling the coolest thing with the best team. Realistically, you're going to make $35,000 for like four years as you get started and make bad decisions about the people you work for and the companies you work for and have really kind of like less than fantastic experiences. And I think that's kind of where we're meeting Jim. His eyes are glazed over almost. He's just kind of like, whatever, you know, he hasn't seen his own value. So if you've been there, you know, drop us a line on LinkedIn. We will definitely talk to you about how we've been there. Yeah, we get it. The young days of being in sales where it's just a job, right? I mean, and that's where we we're meeting Jim. Jim hates his job. Kind of want to end on a strong note here. We'll end with the fact that what we learn about Michael, he is actually really good at his job. He increased profits by 17% and <laughs> cut expenses without losing an employee. Is is he full of it? Because he bought himself the mug and yeah. salespeople would never lie. Yeah, never, ever. It would never show up to any sort of meeting where their job's on the line and inflate some numbers and make themselves look better. That's not something that salespeople do ever. But I love that you bring this up because Michael embodies the roller coaster and value of having sales teams right? They're going to show off and try and do it themselves. You know, the the way he's acting through this whole thing totally mismanages the way that he handles talking about something like a downsizing and just really punts it, like horribly manages it. And then right when you're ready to say, you know what, I'm done with you. You find out he's done these amazing things and use that natural skill to kind of save the day. That's what salespeople are for a lot of companies. They're a pain in the neck. They're, you know, operations are complaining, you know, the salespeople always want something new, you know, and the product team is saying the same thing in marketing. But at the end of the day, the sales teams are the ones who come through and save the day. And that's what Michael does. I love that. What is he afraid of? If he really did those things, if he's increased profits by 17%, what is he afraid of? But it doesn't matter how good you are. It's just a job. If you get hit by a bus tomorrow, your job is going to be posted within a couple months. Absolutely. So for Michael to know he's good and still fear the downsizing, I think that stands out as a, it's very real to us. For as much um, bravado and ego and extrovertedness that salespeople have, you know, we're all like Dwight. We all have the cracks in the armor and we all just want to be doing the right thing. Next episode, we'll start talking about some of the other sales members, Dunder Mifflin sales team and who this hodgepodge of people are. But for episode one, kind of introducing this concept of talking about this show that we all love in a sales lens and picking apart these different aspects of it, I think 
think that's a great way to end it is to recognize that, you know, Michael is feeling the same things that we all feel. We may buy ourselves the world's best boss mug, but at the end of the day, we know we might be downsized and it's out of our control. What you can expect from us Every episode, we're going to pick apart, literally, next episode, episode two here will be about season one, episode two of The Office, a show we all love that we've never picked apart through a sales lens. My name's James. My name's Chris. And we'll see you on episode two. Thank you for listening to this episode of Assistant to the Regional Podcast, the world's number one podcast about The Office focused on Gunter Mifflin from the point of view of a salesperson as voted by Stapler and Jello Magazine. If you enjoyed the Assistant to the Regional Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend on social media. Hope to see you next episode.